1 Timothy 4 is where we're going to be at today. And we're looking at verses 1 through 5. If you've been with us recently, you know we're going through the book of uh, Timothy. And Timothy is a letter written from Paul to uh, Timothy, a fellow brethren in, the, in Christ, that he has left a younger uh, individual to help to minister to the different uh, churches that are around the area of Ephesus, and specifically the church at Ephesus. And so we've been working our way section by section, verse by verse through, and it uh, leads us this morning to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And so that's where we're going to be at in just a minute. A couple months ago, if you were in the Brainerd Lakes area, you remember the storms that rolled through, right? And you remember a lot of destruction and damage that happened. And maybe you remember the specific nights that they happened, because I, I do, myself. We were outside working on some stuff in the yard, and it seemed like quickly everything changed. The whole weather, temperature, uh, wind picked up. We quickly took, put everything away that we were working on. We ran inside, and like good Minnesotans, we watched out the window to see uh, what, what, what kind of destruction was going to happen. And the wind picked up, and of course, as we're watching that, it was so windy that our trees seemed to be going three-quarters of the way over. You know, they're, they're all bending, and you're just waiting to see what's going to happen. And inevitably, as I'm watching out the window, two of our trees break and fall and go to the ground. A lot of cleanup got to go into after the fact. But as you're watching it, you're thinking, wow, man, how did that happen? You know, there's a lot of wind. And especially as you're looking at all of the trees, how come some of the trees or a couple of them fell down, but most of them stayed strong, okay? And, and as I was thinking about this the last week, it was a perfect illustration for what we're going to be talking about today. In our Christian life, and our Christian walk, we're going to encounter people that seem to, to know Christ, to love Christ, to have a testimony of salvation, but at times they fall away. Now, what's the difference between those who stay strong and then those who fall away? Even as we look back at those trees I was talking about, the answer to that question has to be the inner health life of the tree and of the individual. Is your inner spiritual life and your walk with Jesus Christ healthy and strong and coming to him for everything that you are and everything that you're supposed to be? That's the only way that we stay strong in the faith. We're going to look at these first five verses of 1 Timothy, and he's going to warn us once again. Paul is warning Timothy, and in, in turn, he's warning us, stay strong, don't fall away from Christ. Stay strong, don't fall away from Christ. And this isn't a new topic as we look at 1 Timothy. As we look back, flip back a page to 1 Timothy 1, look at three, verses 3 through 7. Paul writing, he says this, as I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may uh, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to dev devote themselves to the myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the, the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Verse 6 says, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they have made confident assertions. Certain people will swerve and wander away and fall away from the truth of Christ. Go down a couple more verses. First Timothy 18 says this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, 
in accordance with the uh, prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. He's given us time and time again, uh, throughout even First Timothy, that we have to be on guard, we have to be aware of where our mind goes, of where our heart goes, and we have to be asking ourselves, am I confident in my relationship with Christ? Do I come to him often to be reminded of what I'm trusting in for salvation? If I don't come to Christ often with a heart that is soft to his word, um, there is an opportunity or chance for you to fall away. We're going to talk about what exactly that means. But as we look at those first five verses, the main thing that we'll challenge you with today is the idea of staying strong. Stay strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. Stay strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. Let me turn this on. Now you can see what I'm saying. Stay strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, Now the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. We've got to take that and look at what that actually means to start with. It, first of all, it does not mean that believers can lose their salvation. It doesn't mean that falling away means that somebody had faith and trusted in Christ and had a real genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and that at some point they lost it. Because if we have that opportunity to lose our salvation, what that really means is that I'm the one that is in charge of if I'm saved or not. We know that Christ has to bring us to an understanding of our sin and to accept him um, and, and to understand what needs to happen for that. But we also know that Scripture tells us that he holds his family in the palm of his hand. He does not let his family out of his hand. So what this means is that, no, it doesn't mean someone can fall away by choosing to abandon Christ if they're a true believer. But what it does mean is that some who look and act like Christians have a fake or false testimony, a, a false salvation. Now, how do we know if that's the case? We don't. The thing is, we persevere. The Scripture tells us that we continue to walk trusting in Christ and having faith in Christ, and we will per- the, the true believers will persevere till the end. And that's how we know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to put these warnings off and not consider what Paul's saying. He says time and time again, be careful. Because we all have a heart that wants to wander and at times want to, want to wander away from God. Luke 8.13 says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in times of testing fall away. This is the parable that Jesus gives of the seed and the sower. Remember, the, the, the person is out sowing his seed and it lands on all different types of soil. And the one that falls away really correlates to the seed that falls on the rock. The rock has no deep soil above it, so it springs up quick. It looks like it has, uh, has growth to it, but as soon as trials come, as soon as the heat of this world comes, it quickly stomps out, and that there is no true root of faith in that individual. 1 John 2.19 also tells, They went out from us, but they were not of us, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So what does that mean? That means as we look around and 
even as we hear of Christians that fall away, um, the real genuine truth to it is that if they truly don't understand Christ and they choose to, to turn away from him, in a sense, at the very beginning, they truly didn't understand. That They truly did not accept him for who he was and persevere through their trials, through their difficulties. And so Paul reminds us, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. He's giving us this to us as a warning to ourselves to say, first, be, be uh, weary of those who fall away. Also, test your heart. Yeah, challenge your heart. Turn your heart continually back to God. Have your faith guided by what we know is true in Scripture. Stay strong in the faith of Christ because we know some will depart. This passage in these five verses, they really give us four different warnings. He's challenging the church at Ephesus through Timothy to be warned about those who are around him. That's what I want to give you today, four warnings that we find in our text. The first warning, beware of Satan and his demons. Beware of Satan and his demons. Verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of, the, of demons. What does this mean? This means that Satan and his demons are real. They are not some mystical uh, creature that was made up in someone's mind to say the arch nemesis of God. Right? He was not made up. He is not like the dragon from The Hobbit. Okay? Uh, if you've ever seen The Hobbit, I love that dragon. Right? It, he walks around. He talks to the characters. And you know, he can fly. He's huge. He's, but he's a mythical creature created in somebody's mind to give us entertainment. Right? That's not the same with Satan. He is a real, live, active being, one that was created by God himself to bring God glory and show how great God is. But Satan, he turned away from God. He turned away from what was good and right. And now God has cast him down from heaven. He's fallen. And he wants everybody, including you and me, to not accept Jesus Christ, to not know who God is, to not follow God. Satan is active. He's not a made-up character. He's real, and he's active. One individual that writes a book on the character and the way that Satan works is, was C.S. Lewis. And if you're looking for a book that helps you understand how he looks and how he acts, one book I would suggest is called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters. And it's, it's, of, it's written in the sense of an allegory from uh, a, a demon that is writing to a new demon, and he's trying to teach him how to distract all of the Christians and all the people in the world. And it's done very well, and one that will keep your attention, but in a sense, will help you understand that Satan is crafty. He wants to get you. Even if you're a Christian, he wants you to turn from God and distract all the other Christians and people that potentially might be Christians. Satan is real. Verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of the demons. Demons are real. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This explains 
Peter, and a couple books later, he says what the devil's like. He's like a roaring lion. He's not the lion that sits around and waits for the other lions to bring him his meal. That's not, that's not the devil, okay? He prowls around. He schemes. He looks for ways that he can put things in front of you and in front of me that are going to turn you away from God. And in doing so, he is devouring you. He's making you a child of his instead of a child of God's. The devil is real, and he's an adversary to all of us. We know because Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, very familiar to many of us of really talking about the armor of the Lord. Why do we put that armor on? Because it tells us in this passage that there is a real enemy out there that is trying to get us. It says this, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications to all the saints. That's a longer passage for us to be reminded we have a real enemy that is out to get you. He wants to devour you. He wants you to turn aside. And where do we turn to for strength? As we look at the, the, the armor that we put on, it's not our own armor. It's not our own strength. It says the, the righteousness that comes from God, a heart that sees the people around you and gets uh, its help and strength from the people around us. Put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the devil because he is out to get you. He is real and he is active. Beware of Satan and demons. Second warning that we are given in the text in 1 Timothy is beware of those who teach Satan's lies. Beware of those who teach Satan's lies. It's easy for us because Satan's not right in front of us to sometimes think, well, he's not real. But Satan has people that are following after him that he is using to teach you and those who are around you. My kids love to watch movies. I don't know about you, um, and of course, we as adults love to watch movies too. But as parents, you want to uh, think through what your kids are watching so that they're not influenced by the world and ungodly ideas and thoughts. And we have to be active in this as parents, right? Because we know, especially when we think of just the different stuff that is available to our kids today on Netflix, on Disney+, Plus, on all those things that you know those people who are developing shows, developing movies, they're trying to add everything they can that is ungodly and worldly to change how your kids think so that as they grow up, they turn away from God. As parents that want what's good for our kids, we're active in trying to think through that with them, right? But in the same way, we need to be careful not to be influenced by sinful or wrong thinking ourselves. 
That means that we've got to understand there are people that are around us that want to tell us the wrong things about God. They want to say that something is truth when that truth that they give you does not line up with God's truth. Okay, And when that happens, we have a choice to make. Where do we go to for truth? Do we go to other people? Do we go to the world or to the culture? Or do we go to the only place we know truth really exists in his word? We've got to go back to his word. We've got to study that out. We need God's help to understand it and to be faithful to it. We've got to be aware of those who teach Satan's lies. Yes, he's behind them. He's influencing them. He might even be giving them ideas as to uh, change a, something that seems to be a truth about God to, to just seem plausible enough for us to think God is a certain way or we should live a certain way. But really, if we weigh it against God's word, we've got to see it for what it is, a lie that Satan is using through the lips of people that are around us to turn us away from God. Look at verse 2. It says this, start in verse 1 again, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So what's this mean? It means that Satan has individuals that he is using to perpetuate his lies, to get them out and to turn people away from God. And what does it say about these people? It says that they are insincere and they're liars. I mean, and they disguise themselves as well by saying that what they are saying and what they're teaching is the truth about God, about the world, about how we should live. They want to say, I know the truth, I have the truth. But again, does their truth line up with God's truth? This tells us their character, they're insincere liars. Even though they're saying they have the truth, they're not really searching for the truth. And if we we bring God's truth to their eyes and say, well, what about this? A lot of those individuals harden their heart. And they say, well, I know what that says, but that could be taken anyway. Uh, Or, you know, that's so old. That's so old, we don't have to live by that anymore. These are types of things that Satan uses to tempt people away from him and to turn people away. They're insincere and they're liars. And then also it tells us about these individuals is that their consciences are seared. Their consciences are seared. That means that they've loved sin and going the opposite way of God so much and so frequently that now they they don't even want to hear about God and they, they turn any conversation about God off, and they just want to live for themselves. And what they're, tr- they're, they're seeking to find is truth that is truth to them, and that they want to listen, and that they want to, to believe. And the Bible tells us that in latter times, which is what we're living in, people will listen, and they will have tickling ears. They will only want the truth that they believe they want to live by. Well, what, what happens there is that they're living for themselves, and they're only believing what they want to believe. They're not believing everything that God has to tell us. So these individuals, they're used by Satan. And the sad thing is, is that many times they're all around us. They're close to us. They're ones that have made that profession of faith. They're ones that we think would be mature Christians and have grown in their faith. But as the heat of this world comes upon them, they want to change what God's word says. They want to say it's okay to live how I want or do what I want. We have to be careful to call that out or to see it for what it is when that happens. We have to say, hey, well, 
I, I know you're going through stuff, but you know, God's word tells us we've got to live by this. We've got to act like this because this is God's character. Because as they're doing that and they're tempting people away from God, what they're really doing is they're tempting people to follow Satan's lies. And they're being used by Satan. And it's un, it is unfortunate that we can look at mega churches around the, uh, the country that are filled because people want to hear what they want to hear. And the pastors that teach those churches, and they know what people want to hear, and they will just tell them that. And they're not going to tell them the full truth of God's word. They're just going to tell them what they want to hear. People are going to be happy and excited. They're going to come. They're going to fill the seats. But they're not getting the truth. And Satan is happy with that. Because, you know, some of those pastors, if they're saying God and they're saying that you deserve good things, people are going to follow them. Satan is saying, oh, if they're following these wrong things about God and about life, they're not following God. They're not following Jesus Christ. You know, they, they teach all types of different lies. One, they teach lies about God, about who he is. Satan was the first one to do this. We could go back to that account. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God gave them specific instructions not to eat of the tree. Satan comes along and tries warp that and does warp that saying. He said, did God really say you're not supposed to eat of this? Did God really do this? Did you really have to follow the way that God wants you to? He changes God's thoughts, God's meaning, and he turns Adam and Eve away from him. Those who follow and teach for Satan do the same thing. They teach lies about God. They also teach lies about God's design for humanity. They teach lies about God's design for humanity. In the sense that God created us as humans to bring him glory. And the world's teaching and false teachers will say that God created you to bring you happiness and pleasure. And if that's not happening, it's because you're not loving God enough. And that's a lie of Satan. That's something that he's using to turn you away and others away from him. They teach lies about God's design for humanity. They also teach lies about God's purpose for the world. Again, God goes right along with it. God created us to glorify him. Are we doing that in our life? They also teach lies that our sinful humanity gravitates towards. They teach lies that our sinful humanity gravitates towards. And what does that mean? That means that we have hearts that are fickle, right? Hearts that on Sunday morning, it's easy to sing the songs about God's love and really, in our heart, really want to follow God. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, our heart is tempted by all types of different sins to turn away. Our heart is tempted. Satan knows that. And he tries to use teachings by other people to tempt your heart that still has a sin nature. Yes, God is working in it if you've accepted Christ, but he, he still knows ways to tempt you. What are we doing to fight that? We, first of all, we need to recognize Satan's real. Secondly, we need to recognize there are others around us who want to teach us lies. And they want to say that those lies are truth, the same truth that God gives us. In the book of Acts, Acts 20, 28, Paul is talking about the church at Ephesus as well, and he says this. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29 says, And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, 
Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There are wolves that are among us. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. He reemphasizes it through Timothy as he talks about it time and time again. Be careful. Be aware. There are those that want you to turn away. We're living in the same time. There are those who want to turn you away from God. Satan is number one on the list. Be aware that they exist and they're out to get you. It's kind of a scary thing to say, right? They're out to get you. But that's what he, the, the warning that he gives us. Beware Satan and his demons. Beware of those who teach Satan's lies. That brings us to the third thing to be aware of today. <clears throat> Number three, beware of Satan's current lies of the day. Beware of Satan's current lies of the day. Look at verse number three. He gets to some specifics that he's telling Timothy to teach the church at Ephesus and to remind them of. Verse two says, Through the insincerity of liars, the lies of Satan will be taught. And then he tells us what they will be teaching them. He says, Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We talked about how Satan perpetuates lies. He wants to tell specific things. We get two specific instances that in this text, Satan wants to lie about and wants you to believe his lies about. Number one is the view of marriage. He says, beware, because these liars uh, and the people that teach for Satan, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from food. And in the time that the church exists, uh, in Ephesus, one of the teachings that became very prominent was that a marriage relationship was not as holy and as good as someone who was single. And so this became part of uh, the church and things that the church had to fight against. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, be aware of this and teach the church there what is true and what is right. Teach them that marriage actually is uh, an institution that was designed by God to give glory to God. It is not one to be pushed aside and to be not cared for or to be gotten out of if you don't feel like that is profitable or, or helpful for you anymore. He says, don't, don't, teach, don't let them understand that. Let them know that God designed it. And we can go to Genesis and realize that God created Adam and then out of his rib he created Eve And then it says that he brought them together and made them one flesh in the sense that one family unit and God said that it was good and it should not be cast aside or or, or gotten out of. Satan's lies are seen in culture about marriage as well. In that time, uh, what the church was dealing with was the idea of, well, nobody should be married. We're just going to say no marriage. We're going to stay away from it. We look at our culture And this is still the same battleground that Satan wants people to believe lies about marriage. But it's different now, though. Some ideas that marriage can be what we want it to be. We see that all over. Marriage can be what we want it to be or not what we want it to be. Well, we don't need to be married. We can live however we want. Boyfriend and girlfriend can live together and do whatever they want because marriage doesn't matter. That's not what we find happening in Scripture. It is a sacred union that God designed, something that is good and right. Also, this weird idea now that polygamy is okay or 
multiple wives or multiple partners, and we can live however we want. That's not what we see. We line that false lies that Satan is using up against God's truth, and we've got to say, those things don't match. And I know God is good, and what he wants for people and for humanity is good. I've got to follow his, his instruction on this. The world gives us wrong views of marriage. Another thing is that marriage is not important, and it's not important to become married, or if marriage is not happy to be in, well, we can just get out of it quickly. We can just get a quick divorce. Everybody's doing it. It's not even a taboo thing anymore. It's, people won't even look down on me. I can just get out of the marriage. It's going to be easy. This is a, a lie that Satan is using to turn people away from the truth of God. <clears throat> but sometimes we can look at some of those cultural things and say, yeah, yeah, I, I know those. They're kind of over there in the distance. Those don't really affect me too much. But I would want to challenge you this morning that we, as believers, can also fall into believing some lies about marriage that, <clears throat> that Satan tempts us with and uses in our own lives. Satan's lies are sometimes uh, seen in our own lives. So the question to ask is, how has Satan attacked your marriage lately, <clears throat> and what are you doing about it? What has Satan done to attack your marriage lately, and what are you doing about, about it? One lie that he might use for us as Christians is the idea that marriage's main purpose is my personal happiness. Marriage's main purpose and goal is my personal happiness. And if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that that doesn't always happen, right? But if you look at any movie, any romantic comedy that's out there, when does the movie end? It means when they get together, they either get married at the end or they're excited about being together. But you know what doesn't show? It doesn't show when they have kids, when they have jobs, when they have schedules that interact with each other. And you've got to figure out how we work, how we please God in the midst of that. It doesn't show any of that stuff. And if we think that our main purpose is to be happy because that's what marriage is for, we're going to be sadly mistaken. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that you're not going to be happy in marriage. Of course, God designed it, and it's good. And if we're both being selfless in our marriage and trying to please the other person the way God designed us to and help the other person that way, you are going to have times of great joy, and, and being together is going to be great. But when we turn away from his design and we think that the marriage itself, just being married, is, is the ultimate goal for my pleasure and my happiness, we're, we're believing a lie that Satan is telling us. My marriage's main purpose is to glorify God in the midst of it. We can also believe the lie that my spouse is here to please me. Those obviously go together. They're here for me. And if they don't do what I want, if they don't say what I want, if they don't act the way that I want, I'm justified in being mad at them and throwing them out if I want and saying, this is no good for me anymore, so I'm gone. A divorce is an option and I, it's on the table. You know, it's a lie that Satan is perpetuating for all of us, even as Christians. He wants what's best for you. Maybe a last lie is that maybe it's just better to end my marriage. Maybe it's just better for everybody involved, for my spouse and for my kids, to just end it. I mean, there would be no conflict anymore. It'd be better for everybody. It's a lie. It's a lie that Satan's perpetuating to get you 
away from following God. Now, all of these things can affect us. And the question for you to answer and for me to answer is, how has Satan attacked your marriage lately, and what are you doing about it? Are you going to God's word for the truth? Are you searching your own heart for areas you need to repent of and you need to get back on track and ask God's help to, to, to do what's right and to be the spouse that God wants you to be, to bring him glory? Are we doing those things? Satan perpetuates lies. One of those is towards marriage. The other one we see in our text today <clears throat> is the lie we find in verse 3. It says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. So what is the lie that he perpetuates? The wrong views of how to please God. He perpetuates the view that things will please God, that our God, God's word does not tell will please him. So he gives us the wrong views of how to please God. And the way that it's really condensed for us is an ascetic lifestyle. Someone who believes that just by putting off certain things that they deem necessary to put off to please God, that that's going to make him happy. And just by doing those things that they come up with in their mind, they are going to be more holy and God is going to be more happy with them. You know, this is an idea that throughout the centuries, has been perpetuated by Satan. And what is the reason for that? It's because sometimes we find it hard to do the things God calls us to do, to ask for forgiveness, to be humble instead of being prideful. But you know something that is more easy for us to do? To just set up a rule and say, oh, well, if I just do this, I'm going to be more holy. And I just follow that rule instead of a heart that continually comes back to God for guidance, for help, for direction. Instead of doing the continual going to God, we just say, I'm going to follow this one rule. And time and time again throughout Scripture, the, the apostles remind us, it's not about the doing. It's about the heart. Yes, the heart that is loving God and serving God and following God is going to do things that please God. But it's not just the doing. It's not just the list that we need to check off. It's the heart that loves God that leads to actions that please God. And it, it, without that understanding of how that process works, we get into legalism and going the wrong way. Satan is using that to take us the wrong way. One book that has been really good to address lies of Satan is a book by the uh, author of the name Jared C. Wilson. And he, uh, the title of the book is The Gospel According to Satan. And in the book, he addresses eight different lies that Satan uses in our world today to lead people astray. And even just the, 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 the title topics are helpful. Pique your interest. And if it's, a, it's something that you would grab, it would be very helpful for you to read. His titles are these. God just wants you to be happy. It's a lie that Satan perpetuates. Number two, you only live once. You only live once. That means, you know, you only live once, do whatever you want. Do whatever is going to make you happy. You only live once. Number three, you need to live your truth. You need to live your truth. You hear that in the world today. How do we attack that? This would be a good book for you to read on that topic. Number four, your feelings are reality. Your feelings are reality. Number five, your life is what you make it. Your life is what you make it. Number six, you need to let go and let God. You need to let go and let God. Number seven, the cross is not about wrath. And number eight, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. So maybe those topics 
pique your interest. Go grab the book. The title is The Gospel According to Satan. Look it up on Amazon. It's not very expensive. And spend some time diving into these lies that Satan uses. That brings us to our fourth and final warning that we find in our text. Warning number four, beware of rejecting God's good gifts for self-righteous religion. Beware of rejecting God's good gifts for self-righteous religion. Verse four says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What do we find? We find that he goes back to how God created the world and everything. That brings us back to Genesis. And we remember that after the creation account, God looked around and he said, Behold, it is good. Everything is good. And we are allowed to partake in the goodness of God's creation with a couple caveats here. Let's look at them. For everything is created by God and is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. If we can partake in God's good gifts and we can have a thankful, grateful heart with what we're taking in, then that means that is good for us to do. That should regulate how we live our life. That means after a movie that you watch, can you, can you honestly say, God, thanks that I, I have a movie I can watch with my family that's entertainment, enjoyable, or would you really have a hard time because what's in that movie it's hard for you to swallow. You know it doesn't go with God's, God's laws, God's word. You know, we can apply that to anything that we do. If we can't have a heart of thankfulness or gratitude after partaking in that, then it's something that we should stay away, of, away from because God wants, does not sanction that as something we should do and is good. So he says, have a heart of thankfulness. And then he says, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer by the word of God and prayer. Again, the word of God pointing us back to Genesis, that God created everything good. And then prayer relating it back to an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. So let's think about that for a minute. Here's, here's the deal. I love hamburgers, right? Think through this with me for a second. Now, if you went out to eat with me or asked me where to eat, you know, nine times, eight times out of ten, I'd say some place that has a hamburger, Right? Now, but what if I decided that hamburgers are so good that they must be bad, all right? They're so good for me that they're just, they, they must be bad. So I'm going to make a rule that I'm not going to eat hamburgers anymore so that God will be happier with me. Now, does this seem something that's plausible? Like, it's right, and it's something that I should do? Does it make any sense? Well, we would for sure say, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. But what are some of the reasons that we could point to? What's wrong with this thinking? Well, number one, I'm not being directed by God's word in my thinking. You know, if I'm saying hamburgers are bad, but I'm, I'm not asking God's word, is it wrong? Is it sinful for me to, to do this specific thing? Then I'm starting at the wrong spot. I'm not even asking the right person. I'm not asking God. I'm just making up something in my mind and saying that that's going to make God happier with me. That doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense. Number one, I'm not being directed by God's word in my thinking. Number two, I'm making a regulation that I believe I can follow in my own strength. I'm making a regulation that I believe I can follow in my own strength. The problem is, when we make those regulations, uh, we're only making something that I think I can do. I can set up that thing that, okay, I'm not going to drive by the McDonald's. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to buy hamburgers at the store. 
okay? Because I'm trying to do it all in my own strength. Here's the deal. We have to start with God's truth, and then what he calls us to do, we need his strength and his help to do. Third thing, third wrong thinking about this is I'm believing I can earn God's favor by actions separated from heart motivation. Let me read that again. I'm believing I can earn God's favor by actions separated from heart motivation. We've touched on this already. Just an action that I set up does not produce holiness. We have to have a heart motivation that loves God and truly seeks to please him with everything that we do. Beware of rejecting God's gifts for self-righteous religion. We've been challenged by a lot in these five verses today. The main idea is to stay strong in the faith. Paul challenging Timothy and telling him, stay strong. Tell the people that you're teaching to stay strong. Don't let them be led astray by Satan and those who teach the things that Satan teaches. And don't let them look at the culture and say, well, everybody else is doing this, and I really like to do that, and I want to do that, and so I'm just going to believe that. Don't let them do that, Timothy. Teach them the truth. Show them the truth in the word. God, come to me. That's what he's telling Timothy to say. Tell those to come to me. I'm the one that is the source of peace and joy. Nothing else. Nothing else. Come to me. That's what we're challenged with today. Stay strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, our time in your word today. We do ask for your help as a a body of believers, a, a family who does want to please you, Lord. We ask that you give us the strength to stay strong stay on the right path that um, leads to you and your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to stay away from the lies of Satan. Help us to be able to spot them and to see that they're lies and they're not good for us. God, help us to please you. Thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.